And welcome to the My Tennis Coaching Podcast. My name is Steve Whelan. I'm your host and founder over at MyTennisCoaching.com. I hope it all well and you're enjoying these podcasts and the various different topics that we discuss around tennis coaching and play development, work with parents and everything else in between. So today's topic, I want to discuss player pathways. And the topic came to the forefront for me this week because I have a few players on a player pathway. So in the LTA player pathway here in the UK, we have a structure. We have a journey that the player will go on. And the pathway starts at club level. If a player improves their tennis skills, they will go on to a county level, regional level national level and hopefully international level when they get a bit older so it's a very linear approach very one sort of one step to the next and one of my players is currently at a a regional level so regional level under 10 but the next step for that player in this pathway in this process is for them to move on to okay a regional level at under 12 under 14 that's the next stage so the next stage for the player is okay they have to get onto what they call the long list of players so players who the lta have identified for having potential to be a professional player to play at international level now i don't know the full ins and outs what the lta look at this there is guidance on the lta website so things like um, game development so their technical tactical mental and physical skill levels and they'll compare that to other players in their age group or previous players who've come through the pathway they'll compare where my player is currently at compared to others so that already there's a comparison there They'll look at their competition history, so where they are in the national rankings and the the world tennis number, I guess now, not the LTA rating or or anything like that. So again, they'll use a comparison method. uh, method. Okay, so if you're ranked, I don't know, number one in the country, there's a good chance you'll get on on that long list. So there's a very, very black and white way of getting on that list and if the player gets on that list they get they get invited to join a regional development center which up till september my center was one of those places to play that has now since moved away and so my player will then hopefully get the opportunity or potentially get the opportunity to go and train with the best players and with some of the best coaches in the region that's the pathway and then if they do well at that level, by the time they get to age 14, they then potentially have the opportunity to go to the National Academy in Loughborough. And then from there, hopefully have the potential or the opportunity to go on to play international tennis. So that's a very linear approach. And the idea is you will you go from one step to the next to the next to the next to the next and 
when I was having the conversation with the parents, that, so my player went to regional training a few weeks back, and I've delivered regional training, and I think it's really good. So I've been part of the coaching team who delivered a regional training. And regional training at under 10 normally involves six to eight players, the same gender, get together for a whole day's camp with the regional under 10 performance coach. And it's a great day. So it's a good idea to get the players together. Again, to spar with each other, so to play with the best players within their region. I do believe there's a comparison element there as well. So the coaches can compare the players to each other to get an awareness of standards. But part of this presentation was, okay, this whole player pathway. What's the next stage of the pathway? And it was the regional development center. And the parent was quite worried. And the parents like, well, we don't believe that their, their, their child was will be good enough to get on that pathway. Yeah, because the, even though their child is, is quite successful at the moment, there are some, what I've been told to the parents, are limitations around their physicality, around sometimes their attitude, around their resilience. And nationally, yeah, the player currently is probably top 15 in their age group at under nine. So by the end of age, under, under 10. So you have to also remember these players are now transition, are transitioning from an orange court to a green court, which is a huge difference. So again, that, that may be that what's been told is a physical area of development may, may be difficult to overcome. It may be a big transition from orange to green. And again, there was there was some impact about technical areas of development as well. Um, in what in what the, the regional coach sees as what they need to do technically with the ball. So the parent is a little bit worried. And I sort of just turned around and said to the parent, like, stop stressing. Like, you have to understand that this pathway is not the be all and end all. Just because you're on the pathway, there's zero guarantee you're going to be a pro player. Zero guarantee. There's no guarantee whatsoever that you're on this pathway. And there's also zero guarantee if you're not on that list, you can't be a pro player. And there's possibly now hundreds of examples of players who have been on that list and have not transitioned into the pro game. And there's lots of players out there who have not been on that list and transitioned into the pro game. And it really got me thinking about this, this whole idea of a pathway. And I've been involved in this pathway now for 20 years at various different levels. At club level, I've, I've worked with players who've got to a level. I've, I've moved them into regional training or, or county training or county talent ID days, as they used to be in regional ID days. I've had players who have gone on to under 10 performance centers when I've worked at small clubs. I've worked at under 10 performance pathway centers. I've also worked at regional level player development centers. I've been part of this pathway for 20 years. Now I'm looking at coaching. And if you've been following the podcast now over a couple of weeks, if you follow me on social media, 
I'm looking at coaching with a different lens. Coaching's not linear. Coaching's non-linear. How can we look at a nine-year-old player and make decisions on whether or not they will or will not be a pro player? It's crazy. And the only method of analyzing a player's potential is to judge them by their peers. So by looking at either at their peers currently in their age group and comparing them, despite the fact that, again, this player is nine, so not even gone into puberty or maturity yet. Who knows what's going to happen then when they actually start to grow into a young adult? He may have a huge growth spurt. He may completely change mentally and physically. Well, he will. So how can we preempt that? And I was thinking about when I was involved in the pathway from a, from a talent development and talent attraction point of view. So part of my previous roles have been to identify talent. And I was looking back on it this week after that conversation. And how do we use to identify talent? But well, the common, the common uh, method, this is going back maybe 12, 15 years ago, is we look at the physical ability of the player. Because the mindset was it's easier to coach athletic, sorry, movement skill, tennis skill, technique, tactics, whatever you want to call it, to an athlete than it is to teach a non-athlete those skills. So what we used were norms. So how quick could you run 20 meters? How quick could you transfer two tennis balls from a set of traffic cones onto the other? How far could you jump? How far could you throw? And we used to do these tests, these very linear, very isolated tests. And that would tell us how good you were from a talent ID perspective. And I look at it now, thinking, how crazy is that? ID, and like, we used to underrate talent ID. So we'll look at these kids, and if you're not the quickest, if you can't throw the furthest, despite all these being skills that you can develop, we're writing you off and saying, well, you can't come on our pathway. You can't go on to regional ID because, yeah, you can't throw a ball over a certain distance. Ah, oh, you're two seconds too slower than your peers. Just, just how nuts is that? Like, just, just from a common sense thing, looking at it now, it's like, that's crazy. And I, and I used to do that. And I, <laughs> I feel quite guilty now looking back. And that hasn't really changed because if you look at the criteria, it's it's same. They'll look at the pathway and they'll look at, okay, tournament results and rankings and... Yeah, they may not write down these specific skills. Like back in the day, it was forehands cross court, backhands cross court, how many serves the backhand side out of 10. Again, very close, isolated drills. But how does that tell me if you're, if you're a good tennis player or not? And they also had what they called the technical competency score. I think it was out of 10. If you did certain movements or biomechanical movements, you would get a certain score. So if you were completely discoordinated and stuff, you might score a two. If you had a sequence of movements, you'd probably score higher. 
but now from a from a non-linear point of view and a constraint-led approach and a ecological dynamics approach we understand that all that is just absolute rubbish so therefore why do we have player pathways because there's no guarantee if the player is going to make it or not but what it's doing is it's almost it's almost narrowing the the base of players because I know quite a few players who don't get on that list and then just they just give up. They they literally think that's it. They can't they can't make it as a player because they're they're not involved in regional training. Therefore, their glass ceiling almost gets a lot lower. And they and they never go get above the their station because they're told that they'll oh you're not on that list, you're not in regional training, you're only ever going to be a club player. What kind of messaging is that sending out? And this is nothing against the coaches or the people who who are running the pathway, some of which I know, some of which I have lots of respect for, and some really good people and really good coaches. But just looking at it from a different lens, since I've gone down this ecological way, what's the benefit? What's the benefit of taking players away from their coaches into brand new environments where they've got no relationship with the coach? And it's the whole idea of the best sparring with the best, with the best coaches and the best facilities. But is that really best for the player? Because the player's obviously got to a level without any of that. So what's to say they couldn't even carry on? And that's been my biggest fault, I think, as a coach, because I've bought into that belief of I know where I am in the food chain as a coach. I am the, and I, I've been called this recently, the under 10 coach. Oh, you do you do an amazing job, Steve, at under ten. We really appreciate everything you do at under ten. But that's all you. But 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 once the player gets to twelve, then yeah, they 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 have to move on. And I've bought into that. Silly, really, if you think about it. Like I've actually bought into that, and I don't take any credit for any player who's achieved things who I've worked with, because to me, the player produces the player. I just play a small part in the journey. And when players have got to certain levels, I've moved them on to performance centres. I've moved them on to pathways. I've moved them on to, quote, unquote, more experienced coaches. Because that's how I always see my position. But it's interesting because, let's say, let's say you start working me at six. And we're together for four years. And in those four years, we get you to a level where you potentially have the opportunity to go to these regional centres. Once you go to that regional centre, I generally will stop working with you. And I know it's happened to a few coaches that I'm working with at the moment where their players have moved on. So, straight away, I've lost my player. So my, so my player's moved on. So four years of work have disappeared. Do I get any credit? No. No one ever phones up and goes, oh my God, that's Steve Wheeling does such a great job here. Like, we're really happy with how you've developed the player. Well done. Here's a, I don't know, a bonus. No, it's just, thanks. See you later. Probably normally no communication whatsoever. Normally it's just a, it's a cut off and then, 
you just discarded. Then the player goes on to this new coach, and let's say they get there at 11 or 12. They're going to spend two years with this coach before that national that national cutoff under 14. Probably take a year to get to actually really get to know the person, to get to know the coach, to coach to get to know the player. You're going to have to build that relationship, build that trust. So you're almost starting again. And there's no guarantee that that relationship, that connection will work. And in my experience, successful players are only successful because they have a good support around them. It's generally coaches and parents and people like that. So there's no guarantee that this new relationship is going to work. And you only have to speak to a lot of players who've been on the pathway. And when they've been made to change coach, not a choice, it's it's... They're made to change coaches to go with these these regional coaches. Again, this is not a slight on those coaches because I know quite a lot of them and they're really good coaches. But they're made to, to change coach and it, there's just no connection. It just doesn't work. The dynamics aren't there. So therefore, the player just stops growing and, st and, and the potential stops. But that's a negative side to this pathway. There's also... It, Another negative side of the pathway of when players get on it, they think they're going to make it. They believe I'm on track. I'm on the way. Because the word says pathway. And like I mentioned at the, at the start of the podcast, it's set out very much linear. Club, county, regional, national, international. And at each level, you get different levels of support from the, from, from the governing body doesn't say that you may only get to a regional level and then you'd be cut because we don't deem you good enough to get to the next level. doesn't mention any of that. But it happens. So the word pathway, I think, is misleading as well. And then you also have this, this belief that, okay, it is the best players with the best coaches. And I've worked in some of these centres. And some of the coaching is definitely not the best in the area. Some of the players on these pathways are not the best players. And it's just a title. It's a tag. And parents buy into this tag so much. So why the national governing bodies have these elite pathways? If you think about it, I've been working this pathway for 20 odd years, and this is just me personally talking. Out of all the players I've seen, I'm not saying all the players I've coached, but all the players I've seen come through a pathway, and I'm talking 20 years, one has made Grand Slam level. Just one. A couple have played ITF and international tennis and few have gone off to university in the states and some have made i say professional level some have played for money but they haven't made a living from tennis so the numbers don't justify this whatsoever so the question here is why do we have pathways why do we have it like what's the benefit I get there's some benefit if you're at a very small two-court church club 
you haven't got indoor facilities and you have a player who has a high level of skill, then, okay, that makes sense. But if I've got an indoor centre and I'm working with four to five good players and they're already in a settled learning culture and environment, why do we need to upstick them and move them? Why are we causing disruption to an already successful ecosystem? All in the name of what I call the badge hunting or the hoodie hunting. You're just chasing that badge of I'm a regional level player. And I, and I have it within county training, my county team. Oh, I'm a county level player. Just because you're accessing county training, but you've never played for the county. Yes, you may be part of the squad, but you're not actually a county level player. Or if, or if you're playing in a small county and you're number two, or I'm number two in the county, yeah, but you've only got 10 players. It's just, it, it just to me, it just makes no, it makes no sense as I'm sitting here recording this podcast. So why, so why do we need it? I like, again, best, best players together, but then we are always are banging on to parents. It's not about getting the best with the best all the time. You need to play with lots of different experience. You need to, to learn how to play against less experienced players, deal with different types of balls. Yet we're getting the best eight, 12 players in the area to train together every day. So that goes out the window. Also, by making the player base smaller, what happens to those players who are on the cusp? Those players who might come through. But we're identifying these players at 8, 9, and 10. Like, Kyrgios came through what? When he was 14, 15, 16. Definitely didn't look like an athlete. So if he, if he was living in this country, in the UK, he probably would have been laughed out. Players were coming to the game late at 12. Oh, you've started too late. It's just, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy thinking. And, and <laughs> I kind of feel guilty because I've been part of it. I've been part of the problem for 20 odd years. And I've delivered county ID days. I've delivered regional ID days. I've delivered regional camps. I've been part of it. And even me, like, it feeds my ego. Oh, I've delivered regional camps. So it's, it's an interesting conversation. And it's something that I'm really, really thinking about myself at the moment in terms of why am I following this pathway that I know now, as I, well, my belief now is it's not linear. You can't go from one level to the next that easily. And it's, it, it's also bit me on the backside a little bit as well because I applied for my level five international junior coaches qualification or whatever it's called now, the level five performance under 14. I put forward a good application, I thought, and... It asked for sort of it asked the question of okay, what players have you worked with and what success did they achieve? And I was quite blunt in in my messaging and I listed the players that I've worked with. But I put in there a disclaimer and I said, I take no credit for developing these players. Just because I've spent time on court working with these players, 
I personally don't believe I've had a huge impact. If the player says I have, then I'll take that, but I'm not going to take credit for their success. Because there's so many tennis coaches out there who just look out. They'll come across an absolute freak of a player who go who goes on to be very successful. And then the coach gets the credit. And you see it all the time when like a player will win a tournament. And I know here in the UK, I think it's good that the LTA recognise success, but they recognise the coach. And I'm thinking, well, the coach didn't win the tournament. Yes, the coach plays a part, 100%. I'm not saying the coach has no impact. But the players won the tournament. But that coach who's working with that player at that moment of time, why are they getting the credit? And you only have to look at Radicanu when she won the US Open. How many coaches came out and said he worked with Emma Radicanu? She must have had about a million coaches. Now, I know she changed, she, she, she changes coaches a lot, but I don't think she's had as many coaches that people have come out. But then again, like if if Emma Radicanu spent six, six weeks at my tennis club with me, technically I've coached her. Technically, I paid a little part in the journey. So why why ask the question who you've worked with? Because you you may work at a regional level now. But it might just be circumstance. It might be your best mate has got you a job with you as the assistant regional coach. Because that's not hired by the LTA. Obviously, obviously the head coach could be hired by the LTA. Again, I don't know the in, ins and outs. Or the governing body, I should say. But then you, you might bring your mate in. So then he works with these players or you work at a centre where these programmes are being held. And you work with these players now. But you might not have any impact on their, on their performance or development. But when you put that application in for that level five award, you get a place. And then there's me who has worked with players and, they, and I've passed them up, 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 the, up the ladder I've moved them along the pathway. And then they look at my application like, oh, yeah, but you're not working with anyone now, are you? Oh, you only work with that player to under 10. Despite a player that I've worked with is one of the best players now nationally. And I spent a big chunk of, of their young development with them. That makes no, that, that makes no difference because the coach who's working with them now, they're the one who's getting, who's, who, who's getting the best out of them. It's such a backwards way of thinking. And it's really got me questioning my role. What's my role as a coach in terms of talent attraction and talent development? Who am I to identify a child if they can or can't not make it based on a snapshot of a moment of life? I don't think that's, that, that's not my decision. But then also, when I move these players through the pathway, why would I move them through the pathway now when I know I get no recognition? I know it's not valued because if it was valued, I'd get on to like the level five performance. When I, these players have moved on, it's, there's, 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 no, there's no appreciation of the work that I've done. And if players do get on this pathway, then they're almost chasing 
the the the, the chasing results, the chasing tournament wins, the chasing what their other peers are doing. They're always comparing themselves to the peers. Is that a healthy learning ecosystem? I'm not convinced at this moment in time. Like to me, pathways don't produce players. Systems don't produce players. And there's a very popular system of coaching and coach education out there. And I see it and I've read it. That's not going to produce a player. 12 weeks of pre-written lesson plans. That's not going to produce a player. Systems don't produce players. I, I really believe that now. And you only have to look at some of the stuff that the USTA have done. And there's a great video when the US Open was out and they were like, well, players have a choice whether they move to these centers of excellence or whatever they call them over there, but they, or they can stay with the coach. If they want to stay with a the coach, then we'll just support that coach. We'll give the coach everything they believe they need. And even in some, I can't remember the other country now, there's a great podcast, they control the controllables and they were talking to, I'm going to say Czech Republic, I can't remember. I'm really sorry. Sorry if I'm getting this wrong, but they talk about the Czech Republic and you're saying, okay, how come you've had so much success? And they were like, we don't have a system, don't have a pathway. We just play loads of tennis matches. <laughs> we just have a great competition structure. We don't have a great coaching structure. We don't have a great coaching infrastructure. We have an amazing competition structure. Whereas here in the UK, we have an amazing, well, perceived to be amazing coaching structure we got a world-class coach education structure we got a world-class coach development uh, player pathway we've got this amazing ecosystem of under 10 performance regional performance national performance centers but our competition structure is lacking like you can't enter more than one tournament a week you can't just play without things being recorded even at under eight we're recording scores and we have recent form for under nines and under tens so there's always some element of the outcome being quite important because we need recent form to see who gets into different grade tournaments and seeding we don't allow the children to play at the very grassroots level there's no fun tournaments every tournament's very serious and outcome based it's all singles based. When you get into the, the lower grades at under 14 and 16, you might have a, a four person, six person draw. Like, oh, the competition structure sucks. But then if you look at some of these emerging great tennis player producing countries, they've got an unbelievable competition structure. And again, I'll talk about the Spanish. People think the Spaniards, again, thing i get thrown at me about the ecological approach about the basket feeding in spain yeah but they're so technical and there's obviously coach qualifications out there who who buy into that but then look at their competition structure you can play multiple tournaments in a week they play multiple matches every day every weekend they're not coaching they're not being told how to play the game they're off there playing the game they have such an amazing competition structure in Germany, France. Again, these nations have unbelievable competition structures. In this country, it's just, we just don't have it at any level. 
and it is getting better. I know the LTA invested a lot of money. It does cost a lot of money to run these tournaments and events. I don't think we need a better coaching or player pathway. We need a better competition pathway. Because the game is it's, it's just not linear. There we go. Player pathways, do we actually need them? I'm not too sure as I record this episode. Something that I'm going to reflect on and, and think about. And I enjoy being part of those camps. I enjoy being part of the, of the process. I enjoy working with competitive players. And I said this on a course this week. I think every player you come into contact with is a performance player. As any level of tennis, your job as a coach is get them to perform the game under challenge, no matter at what, at what, what level, but all performance coaches. And people see this performance coach thing as a tag. Like I, I put performance coach on my title because it's it's relevant to parents and and players. But any player I work with, you are a performer, whether that be the eighth team at a club, whether that be playing against your mates. Me, that's what performance is, and that's why I call myself a performance coach because I get you ready to perform, no matter what level. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please let me know. There is a Q&A section on Spotify. So if you want to ask questions or leave your opinion, please use that feature there. If you are interested in exploring more of the ecological approach to tennis coaching, please have a look over at mytenniscoaching.com. If you are enjoying the content I put out, whether it be podcasts, webinars, streams, Instagram, I'm pretty much on every, <laughs> every platform these days. If you do enjoy my content, and you want to throw a little bit of support my way, you can subscribe on Instagram from as little as £2 a month. That just helps me um, fund some of the stuff that I do because it does cost quite a lot of money and time. You can subscribe to My Tennis Coaching Guild, which is an online coaching community over at mytenniscoaching.com. A link will be in the description for this podcast. And yeah, there we go. Player Pathways, do we need them? Let me know in the comments. And until next time, I will speak to you soon.